Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. This is our number two of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Ken Chester. During this hour, we discuss an alternative truth for electric vehicle resources, the next act for driverless cars, namely safety and compliance. And finally, I will introduce you to Rivian, a small company in the United States planning big things. As always, you can become part of the conversation with your question, comment, or suggestion. Call or text me on the Roadworthy Drive Line. That number, 872-222-9793. If you would rather communicate by email, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. For this hour, we again have the full complement of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, Sasha at mic number two. Hey, peoples. Hey. Hello. Uh-huh. We all behaving? We all good? We're, I'm doing really well right now. Okay. Glad to hear that. Let's see. Let's see. I just got fed. Okay. So I'm happy. Uh-huh. And now it's time for the parts bin. There you go. Uh-huh. Okay. The parts bin? What's on that today? Seriously? I had to. <laughs> Seriously? He set me up so well. Let it go, Sasha. <laughs> For the love of all things, let it go. Um, but this is probably going to get her wound, though. Okay. Um, oh. I'm going to start with a word. Take a breath. Let's take a breath. Okay. Apple. Ugh. Take a breath. Ugh. Apple. We talked about them and their um, autonomous activities last week. Mm. Correct. There's been an update. Of okay. course there has. Um, the bug and the fruit are hooking up. The what? The bug and the fruit are hooking up. Volkswagen and Apple? Yes, sir. Oh, boy. Apple has signed a deal with Volkswagen to make self-driving cars using its autonomous vehicle technology. Okay, so Apple's going to keep going with its autonomous car thing. Except they're not going to build their own. Okay. Um, they had approached BMW and Mercedes-Benz first. And they said no. They said no because Apple wanted them to share certain proprietary information about the vehicles that they wanted to use. And they said, yeah, not happening here. It's proprietary for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're going to use their T6 transporter van um, to turn them into... Self-driving shuttles for Apple employees. Do they make that vehicle now? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's in production right now. Okay. Has been for a while. Kind of a plain Jane vanilla type of thing. Okay. And makes me wonder why they don't sell it here. It looked pretty neat. That's what I was just about to say. I don't recall them being available. Yeah, but there are hundreds of countries where it is. What? It just so happens it's... the United States is not one of them. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is this something like the Ford Transport? Uh, the Ford Transit, Trans- not I'm quite sorry. that big. Okay. Bigger than the Transit Connect, smaller than a full-size Transit. Okay, so were we talking about Chevy's little itty-bitty van? Oh, heavens no. Okay. Cl- so- close, closer to a 1500. Okay. But not quite that big. Figure 75% of the size of 1500. Okay. Okay. Um, this is kind of the latest chapter in Apple's on-again, off-again uh, adventures called Project Titan. 
Um, they started this in the late 2014. Originally, it was a big to-do. Apple was going to build their own car, autonomous cars, go the whole bit. Yep. That mm-hmm. was the deal. Yeah. About two years into it, they reimagined it and shrunk the program considerably. Now, this has pretty much put the kibosh on any Apple-built car, as far as we can tell. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, with Volkswagen getting into electrics hardcore, with Volkswagen looking getting into autonomous hardcore, if uh, the Apple-Volkswagen deal might mean that when Volkswagen goes autonomous, it might be with Apple software. Could be. Mm. Food for thought. Sasha, <laughs> next time, remind me, I've got to pull soap opera music and dramatic music, okay? Yes, mm. absolutely. Soap opera because, like, because the thing with, with Apple seems like it's just an ongoing soap opera. And we need to find a soap opera music from, like, the 70s. Like, we need to find... No, like, you, need, you need the 50s, like The Edge of Night. Yes. General okay. Hospital. Yes. As the world turns. Yep. That's what you need. Yep. Okay. Got another word for you. Okay. Toyota. Ah, love him. Okay. Love them. Uh, fuel cells. Yes. They're going into... F- They're going to fuel cells. Um. Toyota currently builds and sells in the United States, and I've actually driven the thing, mm-hmm. the Mirai, which is a fuel cell vehicle. But they're not alone. Hyundai sells the Tucson in a fuel cell uh, unit. Honda's been building a fuel cell, the Clarity fuel cell, for years. So it's not like they're by themselves. Okay. That, you just brought up a, a model that I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. The commercial I keep seeing for Honda and the Clarity. Basically says it's an electric gas and gas when you need it. And the r- total range is 300 and some odd miles. Let me 340. Let me help you. OK. Clarity is actually three cars. OK. The first car is a complete pure electric. All right. With with a defined range. You can't buy it here. The second one is Clarity. It's a fuel cell electric. Runs on hydrogen. Guess what? You can't buy it here. The third one is a what they call the 50-state solution. That's the Clarity Hybrid, which because of its extended range, you can buy here. Right. And that's the one you're seeing. Uh, think Chevy Volt when it came out. Okay. An electric motor with a gasoline engine for what they call extended range. Now, that 340 miles is total between electric and gas, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the gas tank's not that big. No. But... Um, I interviewed a local person a couple years back who owned a Volt. Mm -hmm. He said that he only puts gas in it once every three to four months. Wow. You know, he plugs it in at home. I guess he plugs it in at work. Um, And he loves it. He hardly ever buys gas. And, in fact, I talked to a Volt owner at a gas station once. He said the same thing. He said, this is rare. So there's some advantage, even though it may not be the whole range. Mm Mm-hmm. But typically, the way that the hybrids are being built nowadays is both pure electric mode and assist mode, Um, either where the gasoline engine assists the electric motor for extra oomph, uh, unlike the early days where the electric motor assisted the gasoline motor. They flipped it now. Um, Getting back to Toyota, Toyota is actually building a fuel cell plant. They're going to build them. In Japan. In Japan. The reason why this is important is that Toyota is committed to upping the number of available hydrogen-powered electric vehicles from the 3,000 they sell now to about 30,000 a year. 
okay, but are these cars going to be sold here? And if so, where are the hydrogen stations going to be? Because that just seems like another one. we got to start ramping up um, stations. I think that would probably be hand-in-hand. In California, they're building a whole infrastructure. Okay. So to, And they've been selling hydrogen-powered cars in California for years. And I did not know that. Ah, uh, yes. Honda. Okay. Mainly. Now Toyota. And the Mirai had a 300-mile range. I actually test drove one during the Chicago Auto Show a couple of years ago. It was amazing. The only problem is we're 359 miles from Chicago. Yep. If not, I probably would have tried to take the car home. Yeah. You, I liked it a lot. You would not have gotten back, back to here from Chicago. I wouldn't have made it out the door. They would have had a tap on the shoulder. Oh, like, okay. yeah. $67,000, uh, please, Mr. Chester. Um, and, excuse me, sir. You need to remove yourself from the car immediately. Yeah. Or face the consequences. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to note. Toyota is one of these companies that is spreading their bets. They're being very aggressive in electric battery technology. They're being very aggressive at lightweighting their vehicles. They're being very aggressive at developing gasoline engines that are even more efficient than they have been. So it's not as if Toyota is saying, ah, we're putting all our eggs in one basket. Unlike some other domestic companies that we will not name right now, but I think Sasha can think of. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Blow tie and blue oval? Uh, no, actually, no. Okay. Um, but they have a slight Italian accent. These. Oh, guys. got it. Yes, yeah. they do. Got yeah. it. Um, in any case, it's interesting to note that even while hydrogen is a small fraction of the market, that Toyota would, cha- would choose to double down and make a big commitment like that, to basically put 10 times more vehicles out there, and even at 30,000 vehicles a year, which is cars and electric buses, is still a, not even a drop in a bucket. It's not even moisture is so few. How much infrastructure is there in Japan for hydrogen? Way more than here. Okay. So food for thought. Um, next up. When we finally get back after the break, we're going to talk about this alternative truth about electric vehicles and resources simply because it's not everything that you think. And that's why I wanted to share it. Food for thought. And I get to debunk who said it. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. Popular car is fleet and fresh. Note Chevrolet's brilliant new high fashion fender design. Now meet the 57 Chevrolet's 210 hardtop with four doors. Notice Chevy's new gently sloping hood, the flair and fashion of its new grille that accents. 
Chevrolet's daring departure in style. See and drive this proud new Chevy at your Chevrolet dealer. It's number one in the USA, the 1957 Chevrolet. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I am your host, Ken Chester. High fashion. High fashion. Where in the world did they come up with that? Uh, High do, do you realize fashion. what the 57 Chevy represented to the Chevy lineup that year? No, I don't. And the whole change between starting 55, 56, 57, why you still have people crazy about Tri-5 Chevys? Mm-hmm. Completely different design than any other Chevrolet built up to that time. Okay. Um, you got to park a 54 Chevy next to the 55 to totally appreciate why. And it took a while. Okay. I mean, you saw the evolution from the early vehicles down through the years. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to be in a private museum where they were parked side by side. I had not understood it for years until I walked up to the 54 and saw the 55. Okay. Then I understood it. Completely different colors and and lower and more power and Everything. So, yeah, yeah, high fashion for 57. And they redesigned it because up till then, the 55, 56 didn't have um, <clears throat> fins. Oh, okay. 57 did. Okay. And uh, it was pretty sharp, pretty sharp car that's still around. And the Bel Air was the top end of the line, which is why most of the vehicles you see restored nowadays that are 57s mm-hmm. are Bel, Bel Airs. I want, they, I want one. Even though they may not have <clears throat> started or was manufactured as a Bel Air. Got it. Just okay. saying. Okay, people. Uh, here at the show, we continue to discuss and report on electric vehicles extensively. And I've often said that the current state of the electric vehicle industry is a lot like the actual start of the automobile industry over 100 years ago. We've also spent a fair amount of time touting the advantage of electric vehicle ownership and the cost of operation. What we haven't talked about is what kind of resources would be required to support this coming growth, and that's until now. Now, I'm looking at, and I was reading, um, McKenzie and Company, they're kind of a research company that researches things like this and occasionally will use some of their material in talking about different subjects. Um, The title of this, and it was in May, uh, Three Surprising Research Implications from the Rise of Electric Vehicles. And I started reading this, and I thought I was going to be okay. And then I started reading their assumptions and went, uh, yeah, no, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold it. In the, wor- in the words of my executive producer, back this truck up. Beep. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, this, this, no, this, no. Let me, let me give an example of what I'm talking about. Did you say back this truck up? I did. Can you do it? Loses something in translation when you have to wait for it. But I'm I sorry, I was on the wrong screen. Oh well. Um, let's start. Let's start with some stuff that me and, and the McKinsey uh, data agree with. Okay. They say demand for electric vehicles is prime for the passing lane. Only accounted for one percent of global annual volume last year, when 2016, and literally two tenths of all the vehicles on the road. McKinsey estimates that by 2030, EVs, including battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids, could rise to almost 20% of annual global sales and almost 35% of sales in Europe. If you just look at the United States, roughly, just the United States, okay. that could be as many, could be as many as three and a half million vehicles Ooh. a year. Could be that high. That's assuming a rate, a high rate of 17.5 million new vehicles. 
Um, now, they're talking about recent surveys suggest that 30% of the car buying individuals and nearly 50% of millennials will consider purchasing an EV for the next car instead of one powered traditionally by a gasoline engine. Their issue is that, and they bring this up, that there are three misnomers. The first one they start with, fossil fuels. EVs do not spell peak oil. Mm, I got a problem with that. Um, their thing is that EVs will only reduce demand casually, um, only modestly over the next 15 year, 10 to 15 years. But they expect that actually the efficiencies um, of improving the internal combustion engine and light weighting would actually have more of an effect and actually has been increasing improvements 2% a year since 2005, which now gives you roughly an average fuel economy of 32 miles a gallon now. And that's, and that's because of sheer numbers. There's so many internal combustion engines on the road still that any improvement over time, yeah, okay, I'll give them that. I will give them that. They intend that even though that would happen, global crude oil demand would continue to grow uh, coming from a variety of sources, chemicals and aviation, growing regions, notably China and other emerging markets. And I said, whoa, China is in a hardcore mandated push for electric vehicles. That's what I thought. Really hardcore. And, I mean, because of their centralized economy, I expect them to do that. You know, that's just another issue. And then they talked about natural gas. You're all your electric plants now in the last 15 or 20 years are natural gas powered, but they don't talk about renewables. In this state, one third of our electricity is generated by wind power. Yes, it is. And in my travels, I've seen a lot of solar power, including some places I didn't, I didn't expect to see it. Now, their other issue was land use, and they were complaining about more public charging points, more land, that just converting gas stations wouldn't get it done. But that also assumes that people will be buying these vehicles. They don't even address the mobility choices of people in ride-sharing, ride-hailing, autonomous vehicles, which may, in fact, go against the number of vehicles on the road by different applications of vehicles. If I'm at a point where having the availability of a ride is cheaper, more convenient, or as convenient for me than spending thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for a brand new vehicle that I'm gonna only use five percent of the time and I could be using that money somewhere else rather than being hawked for a loan. Yep. Uh I mean, we're getting to that point. So I'm gonna have I'm gonna I'm gonna question that too. Plus they plus another thing about needing more charging stations, the average electric battery in these vehicles now is lasting longer. So you're not going to need to charge it nearly as often. So while it gave me food for thought, I didn't agree with everything they had to say. And my question is, if this is a research company, did they actually do the research? Makes you wonder, don't it? Makes me wonder. Unless they had an agenda, but we'll see. Um, coming up next, the next round for self-driving cars, safety and compliance. Roadworthy Drive with Kent Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Road 
Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for dropping by. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you who haven't discovered the show website, I want to invite you to check out RoadworthyDrive.com. We have all sorts of goodies there for your viewing and listening pleasure. For those of you that are truly mobile, you can now hear us on Google Play and Blueberry Podcasting. Blueberry, because i got to spell it because it's not exactly the way it sounds, is B-L-U-B-R-R-Y Podcasting. Sasha also keeps things interesting and entertaining during the week between shows with a variety of postings across social media. See how she keeps the social in our social media. Now, safety and compliance. Over the past few weeks, we've talked, discussed, debated about just how much information each of us about each of us is gathered, sliced, diced, compiled, and sold. Needless to say, personal privacy is a big issue for us as well as it should be for you. In fact, we're still talking about this at lunch. Um, we're just, it's just so much. And feel the more we learn, the more powerless it seems that we have control over the very data that's supposed to be ours. Well, because the United States have taken a, a uh, stand that you choose to use this app, you choose to use this service, you choose to use this device, and by choosing to do that, you are allowing them any and all data that takes place with said device. Because their gimmick is, at least here in the U.S., you could always not use it. Here's my counter argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, if you're willing to go through all the privacy and this is how we're changing our privacy guidelines, you can in a number of situations decide what you want to share but like i said a few weeks ago in all honesty who's got the time you're using a variety of apps some you realize you're using some you don't realize you're using necessarily Mm -hmm. and suddenly you get a pop-up uh because and you're probably seeing a lot of them right now because of the european rules are taking effect oh yes explain that briefly please you know i can't get the i can never get the um the letters right but there's a European standard that I think just went into effect that affects everybody. Like about two weeks ago. Not even that long. I think about a week ago. Okay. But let's just say recently. That compliance required pretty much anybody who was anybody who was manipulating, collecting, selling, uh, coming in contact with data mm-hmm. had to disclose to the user uh, that their policy had changed that you can read the policy, and this is what we're doing. The problem is, in our tech-heavy, tech-savvy world, you know, it would be okay if it was like two or three apps or something. You'd take the time. But today it could be 5, 10, 15, 20 different. All of them? Yeah. Every single Pretty much anything one. that is electronic that has anything to do with interacting with you. And that's quite a bit of information. And to be blunt, we're not going to read it all. And you had a term for making yourself, and I think it was. Well, it's a European. Okay, what's European? Well, term? the European term, I don't know the exact uh, actual legal okay. 
So this is the term. Yeah. The right to forget or the yeah. The, the right, right to, to be, be forgotten. Yeah. The right to be forgotten. That's Europe. Which you can still use stuff, but you can tell them, don't collect nothing on me. Yeah, the way that they're, they differ is that the government made sure that I can still use my cell phone, no matter who the maker, Samsung, and you can LG. Still, and you can still be on Facebook, too. And you can still use Facebook. You could, you could still use social media applications like Snapchat and so on and so forth. And if I chose to opt out of their data farming, data collection... I could do that and still use their software. And within the last year or, or two, Ken, you're going to have to help me with this. The cards have gone to now coming up with the screen when you first start the vehicle that says we collect information. Actually, the last five or six years. Okay. Here, here's where we're going. Uh, this one article that I saw um, that uh, from Forbes talked about an opportunity, um, and they compared a lot of it to the airlines. The only problem, the flaw with his assumption is that we don't have the same underlying rules. But he thinks there's some opportunity, excuse me, for entrepreneurs to come in uh, and provide safety and compliance um, services for the autonomous vehicle industry. Okay. The challenge that we've got is the data that has to transpire, who, what, and where. (coughs) And the lack of a federal standard. My biggest problem right now with this whole thing where he's going in safety and compliance, how to use computer models and everything, mm-hmm. there are no federal standards for the performance of the autonomous uh, package, being the LIDAR, the radar, the, the other tools that they use, the software, the ability, how far should it see? Um, at night, how far should it see? If it's a fog, how much should it penetrate? There's no uniform standard for that information. You, you just said the software. Hardware and software, uh, yes. I'm about to ask you. The hardware's got to be included in this someplace. Absolutely. But the hardware is no good unless you have the software to interpret it. Correct. But the software is only as good as the hardware's ability to gather information. And process it quickly. Yes. So my big problem is um, his issue is an effective tool at our disposal is computer simulation, which could subject a vehicle sensing, predicting, Planning and execution in many traffic scenarios accelerated at a rate many times in real time. Here's my problem. You can't always predict how humans will interact with the technology. For example, pedestrians, bicyclists, motorists, and for that matter, animals or nature. You can't simulate everything, which is why there is a requirement right now in testing for real-world, real-mile testing, which is why every Tesla vehicle gathers all this information in real time and sends it back to the computer so it has this information to crunch. You know, I disagree with the man, simply because it's one thing to recreate scenarios in an airline situation, but in an airline situation, you've got to cap on a lot of things. One, there are standards. Two, there are performance standards. Three, there are licensing standards. The FAA is the undisputed uh, regulator, of of course, and if there's an accident, it's the National Traffic uh, Nas- Safety Board yep. You know that investigates. It's clear-cut. Right now in the autonomous world, it seems to be the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, but do they have the tools? Do they have the staff? Do they have the expertise right now to get all the way into this kind of stuff? We're back 
to where we, what we've talked about for months on this show, which is the legislation is not keeping up with technology. It's not. And but as far as it needs to be smart legislation, if there's going to be safety and compliance, heck, if there's going to be an opportunity for entrepreneurs and safety and compliance, there needs to be a floor of standards. That's what's missing. You need not here. You need a starting point. Yeah. You need a level playing field so everybody meets the standard. Based on that standard, are you in compliance? There's no standard for anybody. And we saw that with Uber in Arizona in that case where it was admitted that their systems weren't as good as Waymo's systems. So there you go. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to you about uh, Rivian, a new company with a new idea. This is Roadworthy Drive. Go to RoadworthyDrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. This is the last part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Thanks for dropping by. Regular listeners know that we have been tracking a number of new companies that are trying to break into the American automobile marketplace. New ideas, new products, but often a shortage of money, manufacturing, and or engineering talent have often short-circuited these lofty goals. Today, I'm going to introduce you to another company that seems to have a leg up on a number of these companies vying to compete. Starting... With a fairly new automobile assembly plant they bought right in America's heartland. First of all, where did they buy it? Uh, it was in Normal, Illinois. Okay. And the plant is, let's see, not quite 30 years old. Okay. Which plant did they buy? They bought Mitsubishi's old plant in Normal, Illinois. Okay. It was originally a Diamond Star plant. It was a joint venture plant between Chrysler and Mitsubishi when it opened in 1989. Okay. Mitsubishi bought Chrysler out, I think, in 1999. And Mitsubishi was supposedly going to launch their Project America from there, their $1.6 billion push in the American marketplace. Um, didn't happen like that. No, it didn't. Um, what saved Mitsubishi, though, side note, uh, was Renault and Nissan. Yep. They're part of that conglomerate now. Well, and they're still making cars. They're still making cars, but not here. They're making them every place else and bringing them over. Mm, not necessarily every place else, but not here. Okay. Mitsubishi is not – it was their only uh, North American plant, to my understanding. Mm -hmm. And uh, like so many others who've tried it, they, they couldn't cut it, which was really too bad. Um, let me introduce you to a company called Rivian. They started in 2009. They're a California-based startup. And uh, their, their take, they want to be something of a Land Rover for souped-up EVs. I'm going to let that settle. Yeah, because I'm thinking Land Rover is going to beat them to the punch. Mm -mm. Let me go a little further. Okay. The company is intent on launching an all-electric five-passenger pickup truck in 2020 and a seven-passenger SUV after that, though it will show them off later this year, 2018, at the LA Auto Show, which should be interesting. Which is not until November, correct? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Rivian claims these vehicles get this now. Now, I'm going to read this. Hold on to your hat here. 
Rivian claims these vehicles will cost between fifty dollars to $100,000, deliver 200 and 400 miles of range. Their words offered blistering on-road speed. Their word, again, incredible off-road performance and will eventually drive themselves. They give an example. Want to drive a trail in an electric vehicle, start hiking, and have your pickup meet you at the other end? They want to do something like that. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference, there are differences. I mean, we've followed Bollinger, uh, which was another electric truck startup in upstate New York. And how are they doing? Um, last I checked, uh, they were in the process of sourcing uh, a manufacturer to start building. Okay. So they're not dead yet. Um, and they, they started with also a clean, what we call a clean sheet design. They didn't copy from nobody. Okay. They started with okay. a clean piece Let of paper. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Would Bollinger or these guys or anybody else, would it make sense for them to go and partner with one of the, one of the truck companies who builds trucks? No. Okay. Uh, their design is so different. Um, see, in the automobile business, they leverage a lot on chassis and performance and processes mm-hmm. and, 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 and sub-assemblies and everything. The only way that makes sense is if you adopt most of their supply chain. That's not going to happen because these are brand new, clean sheet designs. Their their dimensions are different. It wouldn't work on their lines. And basically, what you would be getting is a a a, a rebadged version of them. Okay. And that's not where these guys are at. Uh, plus, you'd have to build in that kind of volume, and these new manufacturers aren't there. Now, this particular plant that they bought could probably run 100, 150, and maybe with a little money spent, 200,000 units a year. But when they start, they're not going to be building at that level. Well, Tesla proved that. Yeah, well, they're still grappling. And we talked about Tesla at length, and I told you what they did wrong there. Yep. But now, they've got roughly um, a half a billion dollars in funding, which unfortunately is a drop in the bucket in the auto industry. And we talked about that at length. Mm-hmm. That this is a business for the long haul at many billions of dollars. Okay. If I'm a startup company and I'm trying to find funding, and, le- and let's just say everything fell into place correctly, mm-hmm. how much money is enough money to start building? Dep- well, one, depends. In the case of this, they've saved a small fortune. $16 million for an assembly plant to drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, your average assembly plant is going to run you just over a billion dollars. In, yep. a, in a greenfield site from scratch. Take you three years. And that $16 million also bought most of the equipment inside. Okay. So they, they have beat the game quite a bit by shortcutting that. And okay. because the plant's not that old, and it's, a, and it's a site that was a greenfield site originally, mm-hmm. it's on the western side of the Bloomington Normal um, re, uh, uh, area. area. So they've got plenty of ground to grow as opposed to being locked into, like, a city or an older plant or something. Okay. So they've got that going on. Plus, they're up to 350 employees now, uh, and they expect the vehicles and battery packs will be built in normal. Um, But you're looking for investors that basically get it, that are willing to invest a minimum of 10 to 20 years. This is not a get your put your money in, get your money out in three to five, and you're gone. You're going to put in money and probably put in money and then probably put in some more money. Okay. 
Um, according to the president of Rivian, he says that his investors are very patient. They need to be both patient and depocketed. Honestly, if you're going to get this thing up between the engineering, the prototyping, um, the body in white, and all of that, and we haven't even talked about parts, service, a dealer network, and all of that stuff, um, anything less than $10 billion, and you might as well just keep going. You think it really takes that much? I'm probably low. Okay. You think it's someplace between 10 and 20? Hard to say. Depends on the product, depends on the market, depends on their ability to get dealers, catch a break, um, a million things. But I wouldn't start with less. Okay. Simply because it, you're going to chew up 2 to $3 billion just getting your manufacturing online, assuming your engineering is kosher. So there's a lot going on, but what makes them different is they've thought about this thing. They thought about where they are now, where they're going to be. Their whole thing is they expect in 10 to 15 years, uh, by 2030, customers won't be just buying Rivians. They'll be subscribing to Rivians. They'll be sharing Rivians. They'll be paying for it as a service. It will be their weekend partner and their week-a-day commuting partner. So they've thought about it, and like everyone else, we're going to follow them. That brings us to the end of this hour. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thank you for tuning in. And join us again next week when we do it all over again. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.